0: Hi, and welcome to the Campaign Builder series on the It's a Mimic podcast. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan.
1: And we're working with you to build a campaign to get your characters from level 1 to level 20. We know that every table is different, and so is every dungeon master. So please take what you want from each of these episodes and use, adapt, and throw away whatever you need to in order to make things work for your campaign. We have no idea what our party will be, so we'll be designing encounters
0: for an assumed party of the following five archetypes. Warrior, Priest, Mage, Criminal,
1: and Outdoorsman. The characters will be leveling up as we go, but for now, we're at level 2, and we're heading to a temple in the middle of a riot, because the gods have gone missing. Please be aware that this episode contains discussions that may trigger some people. Listener discretion is advised. Let's get to building.
0: So we're level two. This is essentially the sixth session in and we're hitting them hard over the head with horror. Why are yep. we hitting them with horror this early? And
1: why is it important to D and D? Do you have any thoughts, Dan? Well, one, I like to hit them over the head with horror early and often throughout the campaign, mostly because I just like horror tropes. Um, I, I like adding that sense of dread. I like adding that sense of, uh, mystery and suspense and intrigue to a campaign but it also uh it really helps reinforce the players uh or rather it really helps reinforce the characters in the players heads um it it helps the players develop their characters a little bit more as they start to delve into the things their characters and them as players find frightening yeah, honestly, we start to
0: get into a bit of the players and the characters' flaws with this. We, ha- we had a whole episode about horror. It was episode 40 of the main podcast. I'd like to yep. point people back to that one to check it out, where we sit down and wax poetic for like a while <laughs> about yeah. about horror and the different kinds of horror and how to portray horror in, uh, in, in a session, because it's yep. very hard to surprise or scare people around a table so that... The characters can feel fear in a legitimate, unique, authentic way, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you and I as we sit here are massive horror fans in and of ourselves like we're like we 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 imbibe this stuff for our own entertainment so it's it's not a huge leap for us to um to reach on these tropes and whatnot to inject into our campaigns if you as a dm are not that person if 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 horror movies and whatnot upset you um or or they're not your greatest uh thing it's 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 not hard to pull on that dread and put it in a campaign um, and add suspense that is maybe necessarily foreign to you from your own uh, media imbibement. Um so it 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 it's not hard to do. We've we've on the regular podcast, we've had a couple uh uh we've had a couple episodes that have a lot of horror, um, like episode 40. So uh, look into that. Also, you can look into the Call of Cthulhu thing we ran, because that's a very horror-based campaign as well. Um, If if you could stomach it, I don't know.
0: Yeah, the other thing that we did was an episode on zombies and skeletons and General Undead. And honestly, that's why I use horror in D&D, because a significant number of the monsters that are in Dungeons & Dragons, the combat encounters that people are often running into are either aberrations or undead that's what the most of them are or they're they're
1: horrific
0: (laughs) yeah and i mean that's that's a major part of it the crazy thing about it is that undead really are are present at tier one and two and they start to slack off Uh, in at least how frequently you're going to run into them in tier three and four, but that's when the aberrations start to really ramp up as well. Now you have mobs and at low level, you have dragons at high level. There's other monsters out there, but there's a consistent amount of undead, um, all the way through and, and, um, aberrations as well. So right when you start to get into the planar side of things at higher levels, that's when the aberrations start to become formidable, right? Yeah. And so and,
1: and we and we know building into our campaign here that we're going to have a lot of aberrations. We're gonna have a lot of undead um coming down the pipe. So 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 we kind of wanna establish that sense of horror early so the players know what they're getting into. But we're not approaching this without at least having mentioned in our session zero that horror is going to be at least an aspect to the campaign, right? Yeah, you need to get a feel
0: for how comfortable your players are with it, and so, um, and you can really test the waters of that with simple things early on, like skeletons, um, uh-huh. and and we we ran into that in when we were doing the escort mission, right? Some undead creatures popped up, and yeah. you'd have a good feeling on how squirmy people are based on the level of detail that you go into, but there are really eight different kinds of horror threats. That you can uh, inhabit in Dungeons and Dragons. There are many, yeah. many, many different kinds of horror, and there's everything from true dread through to the titillating laughter that comes with, you know, riding a roller coaster, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. But but so I've broken it down into eight. It's good to jump back and forth between them, um, but I like to have a constant theme as well. Our constant theme for horror. Um, we know is going to involve devils. Yeah, that's a major thing that we'll be dealing with, and so we'll be touching a little bit on the blood war. Um, and pr- it probably won't be a major factor in our campaign, but we've grabbed we've grabbed one. So let me go through the eight. Okay, there's uh, the first one, which is the bazaar. The bazaar is things like the uncanny valley. These are things that are. Um, they they're just a little bit wrong that they creep you out. The smile is too wide. Their eyes yeah, it, are, it, are too big, right? It's These like your... hyper
1: normality, right? Like the things that are so normal that they are clearly off.
0: These are your mimics and your doppelgangers and your yep. your cloakers. But there are other things too. I would say that um, that even the displacer beast—it's a panther with tentacles coming out of its back, right? These are bizarre things. They're not quite right they're close but they're not quite right yeah so beyond that the second one is the cosmic level of horror these are your great old ones your Cthulhu level this is where I bring in my mind flayers um, yeah. And my beholders Where we start to deal with the concept of insanity And losing a sense of self Finding out how small you are in the grand scheme of things And realizing that the gods don't give a shit There are yeah. beings beyond you that could not care less When you were in the face of an abolith's history And everything that it knows and does You are nothing You're nothing
1: this this is my wheelhouse. This is where I find a lot of funny funny funnily enough, I find a lot of comfort in my D D campaigns is when I get to bring in a little bit of cosmic horror. Like I, yeah. I I love injecting this stuff. Of of the eight that I have listed here, uh or that we have listed here, this one's one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, I would honestly include anything that that's cultish as well, either raising yep. a, a demon lord or even even bringing the kraken forth, right? These creatures are the, look the overwhelming size of the tarrasque is a cosmic horror. Being hunted down by a merit is a cosmic horror. These are things bigger than you and you are dwarfed as a result of it, even if you're not yep. a dwarf. <laughs>
1: I play halflings and gnomes a lot, so I'm 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 used to being small.
0: I'm not even going to touch that one, Dan. Holy shit! You just <laughs> served that right up for me, didn't you? Fuck. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So,
1: really, nothing, nothing. No, no. Terry <laughs> is screaming at his computer right now or his radio, <laughs> whatever he's doing to listen to this. He's screaming at it about all the short. I I think he's saying, "Play something tall," or "Stop playing something short."
0: That's 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 not what he's laughing about. Anyway, the oh, next okay. thing is um. Is creature horror. Now these are your giant crocodiles, right? These are your yeah. beasts, and there's a ton of beasts at low
1: levels. Um, but if, the... if if the creature has the word dire in front of it, they fit here.
0: Yeah. Now we're not talking the the weird monsters because that's the next one. Your chimeras and your griffins yeah. and whatnot. These are obviously monstrous creatures that you could. You could probably build a, a, a B-level horror movie around, right? A, a manticore stalking the streets of New York, or whatever, right? Like there are some some creatures uh, in D anD that are just very obviously a bear, or yeah. a wolf, or a snake. Uh, I would include spiders here as well
1: scorpions and stuff yeah
0: yeah these are creatures that your party will be familiar with and immediately recoil from because when they run into a wolf the size of a car they uh, they instinctively know that this is a bad thing they know that they're in for some real trouble and when more wolves pop up they won't be surprised because they understand kind of what the mechanics are automatically for these whereas monsters you get a chimera that comes down. It's got the head of a lion, a wolf, and a is it a no? It's a lion, a goat, and a dragon. I think in D anD D. So um, well, that thing shows up. They don't know what they're dealing with, right? And so the monster is is the next thing, which is an unknown threat as well. Mm. Um, and they've got these a, are your
1: manticores and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, a lot of your your um, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's a lot of your, your mythic mo- creatures. Right yeah so yeah. these are the things even giants are are considered monsters because they're they're just larger versions with a different mentality and you're not quite sure what you're getting into when you run into a frost giant or a fire giant. these are not just tall people these are giant type in d and d and they're their own unique thing so yeah. monsters are um they're really good at tier two and tier three. There are some good stuff in tier one, but they really come to fruition in tier two and tier three. Um, But the one, my favorite one to put into a campaign is when you start dealing with people's phobias, the phobic threats, the things like um, the water genasi that has to deal with the plane of fire. Right. Or the um, just small enclosed places.
1: Or darkness have- or loneliness, right? Like these are all things you could really pull into. Um, maybe maybe you have a, uh, what is it? Like an elegant druid who has never known a group of people larger than his three of his circle. Um, yeah. Now you've put him in a crowd, right? So like things like that at from- a certain level of horror.
0: Yeah. From heights to being buried alive to clowns. Again, I could use spiders or snakes in here for a lot of people, right? I know that Megan <laughs> yep. from from the regular podcast has a real problem with spiders, um, yep. which I didn't know when I plunked six of those minis down on the table in front of her one time. Um, but I learned it quickly. So the idea of the phobia, this is going to start to play on your players. Um, mo- almost more than it will the characters. They have to make a real solid choice if they want to explore the phobias and the fears mm-hmm. of a character.
1: But yeah, typically when I'm when I'm typically when I'm starting a character, I, I will write down the one thing they're afraid of. And this is when I'm rolling a character. Usually it's one of the last things I do when I create a character. Um, and that one thing they're afraid of is that will be a massive motivating factor. Like for for Lockie, who we've talked about on both uh, this and the other podcast quite a lot. His big thing was being alone um, and and specifically Being alone uh, without any sort of contact to his family, like being the last, like losing his daughter, was his biggest fear. And any single time you would pull on that thread, Locky became unraveled a few times because he didn't want to lose his daughter. He didn't want to be alone.
0: But there was also an instinctual phobia for you, Dan, with the idea of harm coming to a daughter because you have kids, right? Like yes, there was yeah, exactly there was a gut reaction that you had, and that's probably the easiest way to get a reaction out of your players when it comes to horror. Beyond the idea of "ew, that's gross," or yeah. you know, "oh, cool, that sounds awesome," right? The 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 way to really dig in and get legit responses is to look at their their real fears. The next one. On the list, the one that we'll be dealing with the most, because we're dealing with devils, is uh, the religious horror. These are things like... um, Exorcisms. Possessions, but also the idea that there are greater cosmic forces out there that are actively working to corrupt your soul into torment and torture for eternity. Even the idea of ending up in a space like Limbo for for the rest of time is a horrifying thought to, to some people. And so um, I was really debating whether or not to put this with the phobias, but I think it, I think this is its own unique thing because this is when it comes to horror, the idea that um, that there can be unseen people behind the scenes working in the background, dealing with powers far beyond you and they're getting right into your space they're coming at you. They know your mind better than you do. And yeah. they're able to manipulate. That's really frightening for a lot of people. And that's why we have movies like, um, not just the exorcist or poltergeist. Those are, those are, um, pretty straightforward on the nose and poltergeist people would say is a ghost story, right? Maybe yes, that's on, yeah. un- that's undead, but it's the same religious horror of the fact that what is the afterlife, the idea of the afterlife being potentially evil. Yep. is is well, in what the when I categorize it, that goes into
1: religious horror. In, so, in episode sixty three of the main podcast, we talked about clerics, and in that episode, I mentioned that your characters should have at least an opinion on the gods. Um, that is because I believe, uh, just as as a Dan, I believe that everyone has some way, shape, or form um, of them, uh, some faith in something. Um that that influences their day-to-day decisions. Now that doesn't mean in, in necessarily into a deity or or whatnot, but I believe we are um, people who have some form of faith to us. And that's why I would put this in with a lot of the horrors because being a uh, people of, uh, like either faith or worship or however you want to call it, um, you need to, it, it's one of the major pillars of what makes us, humans what makes us people so uh if you want to upset uh the norm or or bring in horror in some way shape or form you've got to do it by uh pulling on these certain pillars that that we put a lot of our trust and a lot of our person into and uh for people especially people like me who who are religious as well as just being people of faith like targeting targeting the religious aspect of the game is is interesting and is is also one of my favorite ways. I, I'm I'm really thankful this is on the list because uh, if you're going to pull that pillar, I mentioned this in the last episode of this as well of campaign builder. If you're going to target the pillar of like faith that people have in this world, you're generating a lot of horror and suspense just from targeting it. Yeah, well, I completely agree
0: with you. I think that. A religious horror: the idea of the afterlife um, being something that you strive towards, uh, uh, and it can go so very thoroughly wrong. Your fate yeah. is sealed. That yeah, this, is this,
1: terrifying for people. This this threat is like soul level stuff. The second you start mentioning your soul, you start mentioning, uh, or you start. Sorry the second you start mentioning your soul is the second you start uh, hitting the religious side of things.
0: Yeah. Now I know that in Dungeons and Dragons, the nine hells doesn't work like the Christian, the Judeo Christian (laughs) idea of hell, right? Like I know that it's different. I know that you can have soul coins, use them as currency and you never think about it again. But if you dig into the details, if you look hard at exactly what you're talking about when it comes to things like possession and devils and demons and, and the idea of torment and becoming a a Lemur, for example. When you start to look into these, then you'll find that there's something deeply unsettling in there. Now, for those people that are listening that are not religious, and they're like, okay, well, I can ignore this one. I am going to say this, just because we're going to talk about religious horror quite a bit, because that's what we're dealing with. On this, in this storyline, because the gods have gone missing. There it is. It's right in the freaking uh, conflict, right? (laughs) But yeah, but if you think about it as superstition, the idea that, and I know that that does it a bit of an injustice, but for those of you that are having trouble grasping it, the idea of the superstition, the thing that you know in your heart is true, even though you don't have any real uh, evidence of it, that's faith right be it good or bad that's a, that's a level of faith and so when all of a sudden that gets challenged or gets threatened or taken away that is religious horror mhm the next one on the list i know we just talked a whole lot about that uh the religious horror the next one on the list is the stalker this is anything from a serial killer to a person creeping outside your window with a pair of binoculars right these guys this is, are. This is
1: Samwise Gamgee to Jason. Yes, Voorhees. Um, I had to, I had uh, to think about the last name of Jason there. Jason Voorhees. <laughs> uh, um,
0: yeah. So the stalker is anybody who is um, who is a normal, mundane person, with the drive to either uh, kidnap, uh, assault, kill, but impose these um, really negative uh, intentions and will upon other people. So these are the people that want to impose their own control on you and they're going to specifically target you and they will come after you to do it. Yeah. Um, these, these are every time that you've had, you know, that person in your friend group that nobody really likes and that person gets like weirdly obsessed with things and everyone goes, oh, they're a psycho. This is this is what we're talking about. These are these are your psychopaths. This includes all sorts of um of different kinds of people and when you are dealing with the D&D world, it's not just humans. All right, you can have a dwarven serial killer. You can have a bugbear who just does his own thing or you can have a uh, pissed off a rakshasa, which is just coming back after you over and over and over again Yeah, as it gets reincarnated. These stalkers, these people that are consistent threats that will not leave you alone until they are dealt with permanently. And that is uh, another really effective way of having someone show up repeatedly. I play in the Tuesday campaign, which is an evil campaign. Um, and uh, they've got one Eric Cockrut that they keep killing, but he's cloned himself a dozen times. And he just keeps coming back more powerful than the last time. And he shows up yeah. every, every handful of sessions, but you never know when he's going to show up next. And when all of a sudden they're in the middle of, of downtime and something weird starts happening, they kind of look at each other and go, oh shit, is it this guy again? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, having these stalkers repeatedly show up with a very, it's usually a very simple thing that they want. It's just a very negative thing as well but having them show yeah. up repeatedly is another way to to hit the party with the concept of dread over and over and over again. And the last one is the concept of the undead. Now, I know that we spoke about undead a little bit already, um, but I want to hit home the idea that the undead is really about being a reflection, a perverted reflection of death. Mm-hmm. The idea of facing mortality, and having it be disgusting or disturbing, the idea that that the idea that no matter what, you are just rotting flesh. At the end of the day, right? Like when you take the soul out of it, and you're not dealing with the religious side, and you're dealing with what's left, the idea of seeing your loved one uh, return and be a perversion of themselves as they slowly start to rot away. Like there's some real horror aspects to have with the concept of the undead, especially when there's like ghostly visages that are caught in a cycle. When you start to talk about what happens after you die, not just in a metaphysical beyond our realm uh, out in the outer planes and souls and everything else. When you talk about what happens when you die here, that makes people very uncomfortable because it's it's a little bit more tangible. It's easier to wrap your brain around. And the more detailed yeah. that you get into it, the more difficult that it can be to uh, to come to terms with the idea of death. Now, some of these things are very simple, big ideas like, oh, hey, look, it's a fucking alligator, right? And yeah. some of these are far more disturbing the deeper in that you get go i think that for some people the idea of an alligator this giant maw of razor sharp teeth and you will be digested if it eats you that can be really terrifying when you get into it but for other people they're going to wave that they're going to say okay i don't give a shit what is it going to be for your party for your players which one of these eight i'll go through them again real quickly the bizarre the cosmic the creature the monster the phobic the religious, the stalker, and the undead. And check the show notes, because I'll add this list in there as well. But yeah. h- how how do you impress horror upon your party? We are choosing uh, in our storyline to go with the religious horror. We're going to touch on all of them. At one point or another. oh yeah, but well, our... I, I I
1: wanted I wanted to bring in one little thing like we we talk a lot about building dynamic encounters in this and and dynamic foes and we talk a, about dynamics a lot and this is another one of those realms where you can focus on any one of these but if you add a little bit of seasoning of any of the others in your main thread or in in your main source like if you have a little bit of the bizarre. Um, Or you're focusing on the bizarre, but you sprinkle in a little bit of cosmic just to make that a little bit more dynamic. You're going to go miles with very little, right? So uh, a a little is a lot when it comes to horror. So you just got to make sure that when you're doing this, you're, you're not just focusing purely on one all the time. Try to have a little bit of a sprinkling of all of these in, and I mean, we're we're gonna do that. Well, I mean, we're mainly focusing on 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 what the religious here, but I mean, there's gonna be a little bit of cosmic. There's gonna be a little bizarre. There's gonna be a little bit. of- You're gonna run you into know,
0: monsters and creatures, and you know, it's D&D. really yeah. <laughs> really tall heights and and really tight spaces. There's gonna be a little bit of everything. We're going to talk about religious horror quite a bit, um, mm-hmm. but you need to find out what your players what their um, comfort level is and really stand just at the boundary of that comfort level. Don't cross it. And you can listen to uh, our episode nine, which was all about session zero and and talking to players about what they're comfortable with um, Mm -hmm. to find out exactly what, what boundaries you can push and how far to push them. Um, But you need to know what what world that you're living in. I had one I had one player in a session zero say, "You can do whatever you want. I don't care if you maim and torture children and animals. I don't care. Don't do anything with teeth that freaks me out." Yeah, fine, fine. That's good to know. I'm gonna steer clear of creatures and monsters, and light, lean more towards the undead, the stalker, and the religious horror in 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 this campaign then, right. It lets me know kind of where my boundaries are to play with. And it's not to say that I'm never going to mention a fang, right. If there's a giant snake that shows up, but I'm not <laughs> going to focus on the idea of there's not going to be an evil dentist drilling into someone's head for a this long, isn't a little shop period. of horrors. Right. Exactly. Right. So, um, so Don't worry, anyway, Steve
1: Martin's nowhere near this campaign guys.
0: <laughs> More's the pity. Yeah. So, right. so anyway, that's, that's really the different kinds of threats you can have in horror. There are other different things that are horrifying, but but these are the different ones that it's very easy. It's very straightforward. Here is how you threaten someone and make them feel unsafe because that's what horror is. The yep. uncertainty, the unknown, and the potential of being unsafe. Okay, so let's talk about the five pillars of horror. We know what the different yeah, kinds sure. are. But let's talk now about the the five different ways to really hammer these these different types of horror home. And there are wow. there are really five ways to do it, and it'll apply to all of them. I'm going to go yeah, through them. Yeah,
1: all, all, all of these five ways are going to apply to all of the eight things we just kind of covered in the last section.
0: So if you think about it, we've covered 40 things, and we're doing a hell of a job. So Yeah, well done. <laughs> Yeah, um, here's uh, here's buckle what, in.
1: It's gonna be a ride, guys.
0: <laughs> here's what uh, what I'm talking about. I'm gonna list it all out, and I'm gonna do it in order of ease. What you can do. What's the easiest thing to do in D and D? Disgust, suspense, dread, pain, and helplessness. Again, that's disgust, suspense, dread pain, and helplessness. These are the five pillars of horror. So, you can apply to any one of the things that we talked about before, the bizarre, cosmic, creature, monster, phobic, religious, stalker, or undead. Any one of them will have these feelings attached to them to some degree. But, disgust is the easiest. And let's start with that. Dan, what disgusts you? You. You're just not a nice person.
1: (laughs) No, man. I, I... I don't handle uh smell well. Like if 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 uh so disgust is going to be one of those things that like targets one of the senses um in my mind. Uh so for me my sense of smell is is very sensitive, let's put it that way. So uh you'll have you'll note, and I mean it's been almost a year since well, it's been six months since we released uh the Call of Cthulhu. I'm talking a lot about the things you could smell when I'm describing a lot of things. I want to put people ill at ease because that puts me at ill at ease. If I'm, if I'm talking about, you know, a acrid scent in the air or or uh, uh, the smell of bile or whatnot, these are the things that are going to bring disgust in me. And then when you get into the different types of horror as well... Um, being able to take these things and have them, these threats, attack your senses, that'll bring disgust.
0: Yeah, and most Dungeon Masters will be able to figure out really quickly what that is. And the things that hit people the most are, uh, the, like you say, smell, taste, and feel, right? When you start to get into yep. things that are wet- are clammy if you put your hands elbow like wrist deep in in guts or drag yeah. a, a cold tentacle down someone's bare spine right these are <laughs> yeah. these are, yeah these are touch these are feel right you can get into other ways to discuss people having that guy with the pencil thin mustache just smiling at you not blinking as he slowly yeah. rubs his bare stomach well, the, well that right? that person
1: like, is the embodiment of the word moist Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so it's pretty straightforward
0: how to disgust people. And that is, I think the most common way that we see people try to apply horror in D and D, but another Mm. one, the next one is suspense. And this is something that I think a lot of people, a lot of DMS struggle with the idea of, of building up expectations just to drop that hammer and yeah. a lot of players don't like it and this is this is why we have entire subreddits called rpg horror stories right <laughs> because because people are trying to the dms are trying to say hey but you didn't see this coming right and that's the problem is they didn't see it coming right you tried to have this moment of reveal without the suspense. So the yeah. concept of foreshadowing of letting people figure out riddles of knowing that shit is coming, but they don't know when they don't know how, they don't know how bad it's going to be. They don't maybe know, they don't know where it is or who's going to be involved. Right. Yeah. Implying that there is something bad that is going to come, but you have no control over it is a very big issue for a lot of people. And that will create horror as you sit there and say, Hey, I'm not telling you how many turns, but in a certain number of turns, that NPC that you all know and love is going to get executed. You have yeah. to save them. Right. And really laying that out. That is, that is suspense. There's nothing else there except the idea that, Oh my God, I, we, we've ramped up the tension. We need to move this, this plot forward. We need to figure out what's going to happen next.
1: And yep. you as a dungeon master, actually have control about when that happens so um yeah and i mean this is also going to be uh setting your atmosphere of even the literal gaming space that you have adds to this as well this this is probably going to be one of those ones that um really if if you can master atmosphere it's going to make this a lot easier to attain you're absolutely right so um the
0: next thing that i think is um it kind of leans a little bit closer to suspense is the idea of dread, knowing that something bad is going to happen and being helpless with it. But it's not a number of rounds. It's a number of days. It's not this one bad thing will happen to this one person. It's this is going to, ha- this bad thing is going to happen to everyone. Dread is yeah. a little harder to pull off the closest that I ever got to true dread was with you dan when you went as we talked about before you went to go um find your daughter and the closer you got the scarier things were and you knew that things were going to be stacked against you and when you guys ended up inside a magic circle and one of your players was was missing a leg and and unconscious, and another you're player, welcome, Megan, <laughs> uh, and another player was low on spell slots, and it was just three of you because we didn't have a fourth member at that point. And you're sitting there with your daughter and one other NPC, and you can see where you need to go for safety, but there are eight vampires between you and there, and the magic circle only has a certain amount of time left, you knew, you knew you were fucked. You knew it, and you're like, how am I going to get through this? Yeah. What are we possibly going to do to get through this? And you knew it was going to end poorly, and you put all your hopes on one strategy, and it almost worked. And you were mad for weeks afterwards. Oh, be- yep. Because it it you felt like the rug got pulled out from underneath you because you saw the suspense in the dread building and you said, Wait, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. But there was no light. That that was an oncoming train. Yeah. And and that's a really, really good way of of long term um long term consequences affecting your players is is Leading up and foreshadowing and giving them the sense of dread. Now, when we talk about our encounters coming up here in a little bit, uh, it's really important for everyone to remember that we are going to be dealing with suspense and dread the whole time. Doing a lot of atmospheric things, a lot of description. Yep. We'll be talking about our plot as we give these things out, but there's a lot of description involved in and a lot of uh, a lot of details that'll make you uncomfortable. Right. And so we're not going to get into every single little thing here on this podcast,
1: but you should honestly go listen to episode 40. It'll tell you how to do all of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, there, there is one thing I did want to mention, especially when it is establishing dread, establishing suspense. Um, like I said, you're, you're targeting a player's uh, senses, um, but be very, very careful um, when you target emotion. Because there will come a point, and Adam, you've called me out on this, especially uh, because of Call of Cthulhu. I did it a couple times when I was running you guys through that, where I would I would say your character feels this, right? And it wasn't wasn't a a, a sense; it was an emotion. I was I was implying that you got to be very very careful when you, as a DM, are describing these these avenues of horror. Because you don't want to remove agency by making an emotive decision for your players, or for their for their characters in a moment. Um, the, yeah. it, it's kind of it is kind of that fine line you have to walk. I did it poorly, and you're like Dan. If there's one criticism I could give you about Call of Cthulhu, it's that there were times you told Rip that he was afraid about something, and Rip was a big burly miner who's seen shit. He doesn't get afraid easily, especially if it's because of a baleful howl on the horizon. Right? Or loads so, of viscera. Or loads of viscera, yeah. Yeah. So, so fuck. In a heap somewhere. Um the <laughs> so so, no. so as it as a DM, you've got to be incredibly careful the way you are phrasing your description when you're trying to establish suspense and dread, because you'll want to. Um, imply that their characters are feeling that fright or feeling that dread by literally just telling them you are feeling afraid or you are feeling dreadful. Don't I have, do that.
0: I have a couple of, of real simple tricks to just get people thinking in a direction how you can get that same, um, that same reaction without telling them how they feel. I would say things like a sense of dread fills the room. The gloom is thick in yeah. the air, right? You're far yeah, more don't general. don't
1: personify it. Fill it in the room, but don't, don't, like, target it.
0: And the other thing, too, that I like to say is, you know a lesser man would be quaking, right? It lets them feel like a hero and know that, oh, shit, this is, this is not good, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, the only time that I say I'm going to tell you how you feel is when I'm dealing with fear mm-hmm. effects and charm effects, those mechanics. Yeah. Well,
1: then yeah, if you, if you make your players fail a save, or not if you make your players fail a save, but if your player fails a save, you then kind of have that leash let off a bit. But if there's no save involved and you're just describing a suspenseful moment or a dreadful room... You need to be careful. And it's just the one warning I would have going out there. It's it's something I am learning as a DM to do better with when it comes to my descriptions. I still target the senses as best as I can and and try my hardest to stay away from describing the emotion that what they see, what they feel, what they taste, what they hear, what they smell, what like I avoid what those cause them to feel. And 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 uh, yeah, I I think that
0: you are. I mean, good on you for for admitting a a flaw. I don't have any flaws,
1: but um, yeah, none at all, none at all, none at all. But killing my child after months of trying to get into it, I'm still fucking bitter about it. I'm not just angry for a couple weeks, Adam. It's been almost a year.
0: I'm very pleased. The the thing that I would say about the senses as well is when you we talked about disgust right when and it being um the idea of smell and taste and feel dread is very much about sight and sound because you can give clues by smearing blood on a wall that they see it's that they're not tasting the blood or feeling the blood what they're doing is they're they're taking in these clues and it's slowly building a picture and they don't like what that picture is starting to look like right and that's that's where I would start to come into the idea of you talked about the baleful howl in the distance all the time in Call of Cthulhu, but that was adding a sense of unknown dread on the horizon, mm-hmm. and that was a great example of you uh, hitting that home where you weren't telling us what to feel, you were telling us what we hear, and we were sitting there. We had to make a joke out of it because it was, it was starting to get uncomfortable. Just the fact that this thing keeps getting closer and it keeps getting closer. And we don't yeah. know what to do about it, so so we're gonna have a little bit of gallows humor, and that's what you're gonna run into as a DM with dread and suspense. People will try to undermine you, and you just need to keep ramping that tension up.
1: Yeah, because- I mean, with with our other campaign, I had uh, we were getting closer and closer. Like we were we were finally on the you know uh, arrow shot path to uh, redemption of my daughter uh, in, in in our campaign. Um, and then you gave us, uh, freaking, what were they? They were wyverns. I think you gave us, and there was all sorts of dread. Like we were racing against an undead army and a hurricane was coming and it was just all of these things had like all this environmental stuff was, um, making it. So it was harder. It looked harder and harder, uh, to attain me saving my, like my character saving their daughter in the game. So I, 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 I tried to add levity uh to the campaign and to to your ultimate chagrin by naming my uh wyvern cardi b <laughs> and you hated that you absolutely hated it you're like i've tried to establish a thing and you're ruining it by this but that's what that was that was me trying to be like all right i'm i'm, I'm sick of the dread i need something to laugh at
0: yeah it, it is gonna happen but just if you see them starting to try to crack jokes and whatnot and you know how to read your players in your table you will understand that um, what they're doing is they are trying to break the tension. That means you're getting to them. That means don't let up, right? And the more that Dan or or any one of my players, the more that they start joking in the face of uncertainty and doom and dread and whatnot, the more I'll target them, right? Because (laughs) I'm going to take that laughter away. Yeah. And it's not to be cruel,
1: it's about getting stuck in this emotion. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's about ge- uh, generating an emotive response of some sort.
0: Right now, one of the things that you can't generate is is the next one, pain. You can't. Okay, please don't harm your players. However, you can but harm that's, your that's characters. That's why I have
1: the metal dice, Adam, to whip at my
0: players who are pissing me off. <laughs> you you have you can hurt characters all day. That is your job as a DM is to, to throw monsters that can harm the player characters left, right, and center. But you can't, you can't actually sever nerves or no. or cut people. Like all of this is descriptive, and unless your players are with you, they're on board where they they you know you lop off their finger and they decide that they're gonna scream and fall to their knees they've got to buy in they've got to work with you pain is hard to actually establish you can do it in NPCs and you can talk about how the monsters are screaming in pain when your paladin uses their holy smite against them and whatever it is you can you can talk about these these different ideals uh, or sorry you can talk about these different ideas about, um, what pain is like in the world, but you cannot force them to feel it. There's no pain that you can give them. You can give them emotional anguish, but that falls under the category of dread, right? The physical pain you can't do. They can only sit there and try to equate it to something that they've experienced in their own life if they want to, which is very, very, very difficult. And you need the right player to get on board with it. So I don't feel like we yeah. can talk too much about pain. When you come to horror movies, you use them as as a great example. You can sit there all day and watch Saw and Hostel and all of these torture porn movies that exist out there to that people absolutely love, the body horror, people screaming as they get splashed with blood and all that nonsense. But it doesn't happen to the audience member. No. And that's the same thing at d d You can do it to the See, NPCs, but it won't happen to the PCs.
1: If I wanted to put some of this, some pain on my party, this is when I um, would attack the sheet. Not so much the hit points, but you're um, still
0: you are still not invoking legitimate pain when you're No, you're still not invoking
1: sheet, legitimate pain on the kid player. What, no, but what, I'm, you're, I'm, what I'm,
0: you're doing is you're creating more dread as they watch their con score go down or they lose their backpack with their heirloom in it. This is dread again, right? You pain is something that very much exists in the realm of horror and is very difficult to do in Dungeons and Dragons, if not impossible. So the last one brings us to the concept of helplessness. I would like everyone to just bear with me for a moment because things are going to get dark. And here's your trigger warning that we talked about in the opening. Helplessness includes everything from having your hands tied and losing agency as a, as a player character um, straight through to um, assault. One of the things that we talk about uh, in our episode nine, is the fact that you really need to be up front with your players about what is okay and what isn't. And honestly, on most tables, if not all of them, sexual assault is on that list. Yes. One of the things that is so horrifying about sexual assault when you sit down and you look at the uncomfortable conversation that people have to have about it, one of the things that's so upsetting Is the loss of power in that moment. The idea that you are helpless. So doing something like holding someone down. Grappling them and then tying them up as the pirates are all laughing in their faces. And like taking their boots off. There's nothing sexual about this. But that could be triggering. And you don't know the personal histories of all of the people at the table. And as much as we say don't remove agency. There are times where you want to throw your players in jail. There are times where you want to take um, options away from them and make them think outside the box. The wizard has entered an anti-magic field. These are moments of creating helplessness. When your cleric can no longer heal and a bunch of of guys with crossbows show up, your guys are going to freak out. Your players are going to lose their minds. They're going to start getting angry at you for creating this trap. And they're going to start to get angry at each other for not working together. When one person says retreat, nobody else does. That person leaves and everyone else dies. Who's getting blamed? Is it the person that said, I told you to retreat? Or is everyone else saying, if you'd stayed, we would have lived, right? As you start to create this concept of helplessness around people, um, you can create some real tension and some real horrific moments, but it's rarely horror. And when it becomes horror, When you've paralyzed someone and you slowly have that centipede crawling up their leg with the poison pinchers. And if it gets up to their neck in the next two rounds, then they're going to get killed. Once they watch themselves slowly uh, get turned to stone, whatever it is, this idea of actual physical helplessness can be a trigger to people. Know your players as best you can and read the table very, very closely when it comes time to actually implement these things. Use baby steps only. Helplessness is actually one of the easiest things to implement because it is very simple for a DM to take away agency. But I would hazard to say that it is also the most dangerous and the most difficult to get right. Because you're A, going to make people very angry, B, make people very upset and trigger something, Or C, pull it off perfectly. The ability to pull it off perfectly is very, very um, difficult to, to grasp. It takes a lot of experience. I'm not saying don't try. But I am saying use your best judgment. And read the table. Use your common sense. And keeping in mind that if you fail at this, then the other two options, the anger or the upset are very real and will come at you as a dungeon master. Yes. So I know that we've spent 50 minutes or, or close to it at this point talking about horror in general, but it's because it is such a important and touchy subject and Mm -hmm. I'm going to bring it up again. The subreddit RPG horror stories is full of characters who are suddenly made helpless. Either they've had their agency taken away. And the player is now writing angry about it. Or there's been some sort of thing that has triggered them. And, and they need to get it off their chest now. There are hundreds of stories like this. It's your job as a dungeon master. It is your job to be the referee to make sure that everything's fair. Because it needs to be fair for it to be fun. We're here to have fun and if your party is signed up for horror, that's great. If they haven't, ease back and maybe go cartoony. Maybe have maybe have your army of darkness as opposed to your your exorcist. Yeah. Right. So uh, that's really all that that I have to say about about these five pillars. Again, they're disgust, suspense, dread, pain, and helplessness. And if you have any thoughts about them, reach out and let us know. If you want to tell us something that happened to you that was really cool or really freaking not cool. Somebody did something to you that you are not okay with. They took your agency away or whatever it is. Write into us. Let us know. It's uh, info at itsamimic.com. We would love to know uh, what's going on at your tables and how you've run into horror in the past. And let us know if you would l- if you want us to share it on the podcast. Anything else to add?
1: No, I, I, I wanted to give you the space to talk about that one. Uh, you were on a roll. Like, I, I've, I've got nothing to to kind of add on top of it. Like, the, we cannot stress enough that talking about uh, this kind of stuff um, in your session zero is incredibly important. You don't necessarily have to give away plot points, but ask your players if stuff's okay. And... and if, if this comes up as a result of the players taking the left turn, left turn midway through uh, the session or whatnot or midway through the campaign at some point in time and, and now you uh, have an opportunity to maybe uh, dive into some horror aspects that you weren't intending on during your session zero, and there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, guys, just so you know, um, like at the beginning of a session or at the end of a session – we are working towards this point what are our comfort levels right and and being able to establish before you kind of throw the players into this what their comfort levels are whether it's in a session 0 or it's at the beginning of this of this session or it's at the end of the session that led them to this whatever it is it is incredibly important clear it with the players because if if you don't you could accidentally stumble upon something and and then you have a um then you have a conflict outside of the game that that we are all trying to avoid. This is a game for fun and if you're removing that fun for somebody um without doing your due diligence as a DM, then then I mean we're defeating the purpose of playing this. So like I said, I I I wanted to give you Adam the space to kind of talk about this and, and go over it. But we cannot stress enough talk to your players about their boundaries about the limitations that they want on the game so that you don't cross those hard lines that will cause conflict around the table not in the game and also you're absolutely right dan on everything you just
0: said i'd also like to, to add you need to be open as well because if they turn to you in session 17 and say hey I know what you just did there was really fun and everybody had a great time. It made me a little bit uncomfortable. Can we please not do that again? It is, you do not have a right to say, well, you didn't bring it up in session zero, so fuck you, right? Yeah, right. they're communicating with you. And even in a session, when you look around and you see that one person who is frozen and is staring at the table and doesn't, they're not interacting because there's a trauma that they're reliving. That's not on them for not bringing it up. That is on you for not being aware of it and not not, not acquiescing to what their needs are. You're yeah. here, as I said, to be fair. So, be fair. Okay, Dan, we've talked a lot about the big ideas around horror, the do's and do nots of it. Let's get into our own specific mm-hmm. encounters now. Um, and let's, uh, let's talk about what, what's going on. We just finished a riot or we think it's over. What's going to, what's going to happen next? What is the follow from the gods going missing? So let's roll dice. Let's roll initiative and let's find out
1: what we're doing. Cool. I got a 13. Oh, I got a seven. All right. So, uh, what we established in the last, uh, session, um, is that, the people are upset uh the rights have been uh quelled but there's this kind of eye of the storm thing and um there's there's kind of this eye of the storm atmosphere going on in the city and you've gotta bring it back to some sort of intensity especially when you're dealing with horror and i'm a big fan of starting with a bang and I literally mean in this this instance a massive boom. I've got a uh, role-playing to combat encounter to start us off where a large uh, explosion rocks the city originating from the temple. And as the sound of this boom kind of uh, dissipates, this low drone of crazed... Holy men and women, as they come out from the uh, temple grounds, uh, dirty and crazy, starts to strike at this large crowd that has built up outside of either the town hall, or the temple, wherever you have this crowd after this uh, riot. So uh, your party has to uh, get this crowd to safety and fight back. The um, crazed cultists who are homicidal without a fault as they're going right, like they 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 are going for the kill, and they're crazy and they're chanting and they're droning and they are this um, irresistible force moving out into this courtyard, um, yep. and this is this is this is going to establish this threat, this this um, psychological. Uh, level threat as well as you have this droning you have this uh um, people that your party might have even interacted with that are now crazed and homicidal
0: the thing that i like about this is that you are still building from the last episode um the last session that you did which was all about um uh, becoming a little bit of these authority figures and being in charge of this area and so now that you come here your players have to make the choice are they using lethal damage on this? Yeah.
1: Right? Or are or, or, or are they just subduing? Like what, what do they what your players don't even really know what the cause of this boom is, and uh I mean you'll find out later in the session, but uh right now all you know is that something has rocked the temple and coming from it are crazed people of the cloth. Now, remember you've been to the temple
0: before we were at the mm-hmm. temple at the end of the, um, the session that was all about, uh, rewards and resolutions, right? Or you ended up in the temple and, uh, and that you discovered that the gods have gone missing and Lachlan's lock kind of threw you under the bus. And so here you are again at the temple. And in a direct conflict, this is becoming a constant theme and this is now a setting that should be relatively familiar to your party. So I, I yeah. like the idea of getting here and seeing the exterior of the building and, uh, and giving the idea that the threat is not, is not over the riot, the looting has calmed, but the religious fervor still
1: boils. Yeah. I would definitely reinforce the idea as well of um, the gods being upset. So in this like explosion, I would have, um, I I would throw a lot of symbolism out there as well. Like I would have the iconography of the religious orders of the temple falling off the building or stained glass windows blowing out. But it, but it
0: has, it has to be the, the, um, holy people that are doing it because the gods themselves have no power. They're gone.
1: Oh, yes. And and that, that'll that come out as we get to it as well. Um, this also, uh, in a very subtle way, reinforces your players as the protectors and authority figures of this town, as now you are trying to save this crowd that you redirected here um, to, to this courtyard. You're trying to save them, and now you are the barrier that is keeping them from a crazed menace.
0: Alright, so for my first one, uh, you can either really tack this on to the end of yours, Dan, or I was thinking that when you get inside of the temple, um, you find a dying member of the um, congregation. The uh, Maybe they're a member of the church, or maybe they're just a, a, a big believer in, in what's going on. Like, like a deacon level, if, if you go if you go with that uh, that methodology that metaphor, but y- you you head you head in and you find a person who is dying beyond repair. They are dying. Maybe they're already dead, but in their last yeah. moments, they're going to provide some sort of riddle or puzzle on how to help. What I'm doing here, Dan. It sounded like you had uh, a a um, role play to combat out front. So I'm looking at exploration to role playing when you're inside and you start moving through the area. And, and even if you're outside and you're looking at, at the group of, uh, of people that are, are left behind the exploration could just be you looting the bodies and you find something there, something that says, you know, you need to get inside. This thing is happening. There's a sect that is doing this something that, that is going to reveal why this religious fervor has amped up way past what it should have. Even though the gods are missing and there are, are citizens crying in the street, why is the temple full of holy people who are hostile? What is going on? And so they're, they're going to find a, a clue in here, um, something for them to try to figure out Um, I like it being a riddle so that they've got a a puzzle to solve. They can talk to other people to try to help get clues and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're going to go exploring either the inside until they find this body or they'll, they'll be looting the bodies outside. Um, or or the pockets. If they decide not to kill the people outside, they're going to, you know, rifle (laughs) through their pockets right afterwards, whatever it is. Um, but they're not going to be able to get help from the person that is giving them the riddle. Um this is very Dan Brown, right? Like there's there's this one puzzle that the person is dead, but he was pointing at this painting with the letters L F R in his hand. Like I'm just making shit up now, right? But yeah, but whatever the riddle or the puzzle ends up being, they've got three or four different ways to figure it out. Uh, we talked about puzzles in our Dynamic Encounters in Episode 5 of this um, podcast. So um, so whatever it is, they've got this this puzzle or this riddle that they've got to solve. Um, and they've got to work together and with other NPCs in order to do it.
1: So my next one is you have made your way into the temple itself. And you get into the large area of worship, whether it's a sanctuary or some sort of... Uh, uh, Congregational area uh, that has been blown out and you see the bare stone of the foundation of the church exposed. And on this is a glowing circle on the ground pulsing with evil magical power. Um, There is probably a... um, A a, a couple droning cultists around these crazed uh, holy men and women that your party is going to have dispatched. But uh, what I really want to focus on is this kind of exploration to combat encounter where your party now has to try to figure out what is going on with this magic circle. Um, It's clearly not a good thing. It's resonating evil power and even the most mundane of your party members is going to be able to determine this is super duper evil. Um, and that you need to stop it. So uh, your party is going to try to discover this. But when you have such a focus for evil in your world, evil's going to find its way to be drawn to it and come out of the woodwork. And I would have at level two, I would have several uh, shadows and, and um, other kind of incorporeal undead even. Coming forth from this area that, you know, funerals and memorials have been held in. There's probably a graveyard out in the back that has... You're saying this place uh, has now been desecrated. This place has now been desecrated by this evil. And they're coming out of the woodwork here and floating toward... So while your party is trying to determine how to shut off this circle, they are now having to defend themselves from shadows and lesser ghosts and and level-appropriate threats. That are flowing towards and are drawn towards this foci of evil. So what what is what
0: kind of dynamic encounter is this
1: is? This is an exploration to combat encounter, where your party is exploring and trying to figure out this puzzle of this uh, whole this uh, unholy magic circle while fighting back waves of shadows and whatnot i'd I'd add a timer to this or or i'd have in my head a certain amount of rounds before something bad happens
0: i like this because this can this can lead back to the riddle from the one that i made up
1: exactly yeah so and 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 i would i would have a couple clues in that riddle if i was to throw it that way i'd have a couple clues in that riddle that would point towards a solution of how to turn this thing off
0: now, the thing that I want to talk about just before we move on to mine, then, is um, as we go with the with the chanting of the people outside, the dead body inside, and the empty temple, um, the idea that there's this large pit uh, in the sanctuary of the temple with the uh, this massive glowing circle in it and whatnot. We're also we are starting to build the dread and the suspense of this entire scenario. Um, there is going to be certain things, the iconography that is going to be smashed, but also maybe the ways that people have died. Um, this is going to create a serious, um, a serious level of disgust as well that you can play with and, and give people, I would, I would paint the scene with people that have died, but the, their face is full of ecstasy, even though like, like as, as they're dead, this they've they've died in the name of this God or this, whatever the reason behind it is. So this is where we say we're bringing the horror in and this is religious horror. So my next one is going to be a, uh, role playing to combat. And this is what it all comes down to this seal. I I had no idea you were going to put this, this glowing circle. I'm going to call it a seal. Um, this is, um, going to have summoned in a demon or a demon has opened it up from the abyss and, or they've, they're using the power now to become, um, uh, to make their presence known. But there is a demon inside the temple that is using the opportunity to get a foothold on the prime material plane. And this is the first mention that I'm going to make of the, um, of the blood war. Yeah. We know later on, we know that our ba- our big bad guy is Asmodeus. We know that we're going to go to the Nine Hells. We know that we have an imp later in Tier 1 that we're going to be dealing with. But I didn't want to hit them right off the bat with the obvious, we're fighting devils in this campaign, right? So I went with yeah. demons. It's a slow roll into this, and it's going to slowly build the overarching concept of dread now that the gods are gone what are the evil beings up to so this is okay. going to be a mid-level demon but way overpowered for this level this is going to be a hezru <laughs> okay jeez okay yeah so there's no way that the party can fight this thing however it's in the body of a man and it has strange magical powers and they've got a high-level priest that's battling it and while they are helping the priest with the ritual, and this is the role playing, right? Where they're, they're talking with the priest and they're trying to figure it out. There are they're talking to the demon itself and getting information. While all this is going on, the Hezru uh, actually wins for a moment and releases low level CR half CR one uh, demons into the room. And now you have to protect the priest. So this is yeah. why it's a role playing to combat. You have to protect the priest while he wrestles that Hezru back out. And I think at the end of this, depending on how well the players do, you can have um the players oh maybe maybe one of the players goes unconscious and the player gets possessed. That could be interesting too. Talk about helplessness. Right? Yeah. Um, now watch your character's body get run by the DM as an evil creature for Jeez. a couple of rounds till the priest can knock them back into the other body, right? But whatever it is, there's there's got to be some. Maybe it's a nun with a hezru trapped inside, um, and and they've got to protect this poor innocent nun and this priest who's doing the exorcism as long as they possibly can while they're getting attacked depending on how well they do depending on how quickly they get through it the hezru will either be um banished and the nun saved or the nun will die and the hezru will will dissipate and you will have no idea where it went and maybe you'll run into it later i haven't gotten that far yet we're not even anywhere near tier two or three which is when you'd run into this so yeah I haven't put any thought into this, but having a bad guy that could reoccur later is never a bad thing. Right? But this is the no, moment nev- never a bad thing. <laughs> this is a this is the moment of there being real, real horror, real um religious destruction that is happening, the corruption and the desecration. This is where Dan, I put on the the music that's just like evil cult chanting in the background of my session to really yeah. hammer this home we're playing D by
1: candlelight for this i love it the one thing i would be uh, cautious about is if you've had an encounter where you have like waves of things happening and then this happens and you have more waves really be aware when you're planning these encounters that you have to deal with a certain amount of uh resources that your party will have mm-hmm. been dwindling as they get to this so be aware of that have some sort of um out if things get a bit too complicated or or too dangerous and you start wiping out your party like if you have two of your players go down things can spiral out of control really quickly so as a dm you've just got to be aware be careful when you're planning out these encounters where that sits um
0: especially
1: when you're especially when you're bringing in like demons and mains and 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 uh dretches and things like that like you have you have a little bit of leeway but it's a little bit you you kind of you're kind of threading a needle here um with the horror and it could go bad quick
0: i think that by adding something as simple as um the priest imbues your weapons with radiant energy so you do an extra 1d4 or the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the the priest has a holy symbol that can heal up to three times uh back up to full maximum hit points, right? Yeah. Or or like whatever it is, so that you have this this item or this yeah. this blessing so that you can see that and, and maybe he says, Hey, this holy symbol will work all of the time. You will always be healed and never take damage ever again in your life. And then you
1: do. And he stops and goes, Oh my god, my god, like my gods are gone. Yeah, this is actually a really cool opportunity for you to play into this priest as well. Like was this priest one of the crazed uh uh holy men that you knocked some sense into and is now trying to respond out of remorse for some of his actions outside or or how does this play out with this priest? This could be the foundations of a key NPC and like friend of the party coming down the pipe or even an enemy of the party if if this gets played poorly. Um, by the players not poorly but if this goes poorly for the players I mean um, you, you, like, could
0: take, you could take a page out of the exorcist the movie and have the priest pull the, the demon into himself and then kill himself or maybe the yeah. demon escapes and the priest has no choice but to slit his own throat or something right don't lay off the horror just because
1: the encounter is done exactly so my, my last encounter for this session is um, we've had a lot of heavy combat. We've had fighting cultists and crazed holy men and some undead and some demons and fiends all brought in. So I really kind of wanted to give the party a minute to breathe. And instead of using their muscles, I want them to use their brains a little bit more. So I have, I have a bit of a... Um, I have a bit of a role playing encounter that is also going to bleed into a bit of an exploration encounter as with all of these physical threats are finally subdued uh, the 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 priest who led this exorcism be it alive or dead has in some way directed the players to um the cause almost of all this the the source of the information the source of this infection uh which which is going to be this long-sealed book of prophecy that has been opened up. Um, Now, it's probably through some catacombs that are uh, covered in cobwebs, but show recent signs of travel as things are moving about. Um, And through this book of prophecy, you're going to get a bit of an insight into uh, some prophetic reasons why the gods have disappeared, or even if there is a uh, um, hint a puzzle that you could give them long term down the line but all of this stuff is going to behind going to be behind a locked puzzle door that your party then has to figure out how to open to gain access to this book of prophecy
0: I like the idea of the priest not having the information of how to get through the door. Maybe this priest is low level.
1: Oh, yeah, I like that. Like, he's a, he's an acolyte.
0: And that's why you couldn't handle this with them but like, by himself.
1: Yeah, and so he is,
0: is going to try to find... He's going to help them try to get through the, the locked door. He'll be able to give hints, right? But he won't know the way to do it. Or, even better, if he died... He comes back as a spirit that can only stay for 10 minutes. I
1: I, and, I, I would almost and, have him just be a guy who stays in the catacomb. So he's always there. Like long term, you could have this spirit priest down there. Kind of gives you an interesting NPC of this guy who's a ghost who's just locked in an area. Um, but no, I'm, I'm I'm down with this idea where this guy could even help from the grave, from beyond the grave. All
0: right, so the last one is uh, is I'm going to finally allow the players to take a breath, okay? The last dynamic encounter I want to give them is party politics. They have sealed this off, but they know the gods are missing. They know that everything is still in turmoil outside. They're on the side of good, but their big triumph was done behind closed doors. They've got only what they can say. They don't have any proof. Right. They may be left bodies on the steps of the temple. Right. Did Lachlan's lot. Were, were, were Lachlan's lot right the whole time? Does this cast them into a shadow of doubt? The priest they just helped yeah. is either an acolyte that no one believes or now a freaking ghost. And there's a dead nun and these guys are covered in blood. And none of this happened until they, are uh, you know, until they brought this potions guy in hmm. in, in this potions merchant. In to town are they to blame really stop and give them the opportunity to look around and say hey you know what things have gotten bad they've had a chance to do some really good things they've they've had the opportunity to make a difference and to save a lot of people what do they do now give them the opportunity to have a little bit of agency let them look around the temple if they want and give them things to find that may help them or go back to Tremblay's and find out that Tremblay has uh rewards that will help them against demons in the future. Here's this will mitigate one damage every time a demon attacks you. Some minor mundane discount magic item that they will feel, Hey, you know what? This is really important. This is great. We, we have this as they, as they step out the, the front of the temple, they see that, um, that this potions merchant that they'd escorted into town is sitting there with potions healing people out front, right? And decides to give them some potions too, because I'm sure they're pretty beat up and bloody by now. You know? oh, yeah,
1: yeah, they're, they're definitely on the raggedy edge at this point.
0: Um, one of the things that, I mean, you said throw some shadows and incorporeal beings at them, which means they've taken stat damage. That whole demon battle was really hard. So they're going to need to feel like they've accomplished something Give them the opportunity to have the party politics, to sit down, talk it out, strategize a bit, and come up with their next plan. Who's the bad guy? Who's the enemy? We don't know who let this demon in. We know how, but we don't know who. We don't know what happened to the gods, how much of this stuff is Lachlan's lot behind. What state is Tremblay shop in? There's a lot of stuff still up in the air right now, and we're going to resolve a bunch of it before we go too much farther here in the next couple of episodes. But it's time for them to stop and take stock and give them not the opportunity to have downtime and get a short rest, but to meet amongst themselves and say, shit,
1: now what? This is a really good time for a breather because you've had a couple really intense episodes. It's uh, sorry, intense sessions. You've had a lot of shit going on. Your party's gonna need to unwind, and there's going to be some uh, effects from the cause that your party ha- is that you have to deal with, and and they should all be things of like this is where you're bringing in your denouement, uh, the, the the denouement, right? Like this is when you're bringing in this this. Uh, wrapping up of at least this two sessions because you had the riots and then you had demons um of stress
0: I'm not even I'm not even having a denouement here I'm not I'm not having anything like a resolution yet I'm letting them just breathe and figure yeah, out what yeah, happened yeah. who are they pointing fingers at who went down in the fight who ran away at this point who got scared who got hit by a fear effect? Right? Hey, let them role play amongst themselves because you've kept them on their back foot dealing with one NPC after another. We've talked a lot about combat and role playing all the way through the yep. last two sessions now, right? Let them well, they've, finally they've interact got with a themselves. Lot of They're alone. They need now. To sort through, like, what do they do?
1: They've got a lot of stuff with Lachlan's lot that they now have to deal with, right? And they have to plan what the next step for them is. So like they, they need a moment to breathe here to collect themselves because if you just keep on giving them information that they're, they're going to get overwhelmed and a lot of the stuff they learned last session and the stuff they learned this session are going to get lost.
0: This is the thing that I that I think is important to really hammer home is that this is our opportunity to breathe and, and collect themselves. Maybe, maybe I would give them a short rest yeah. or I would look at them and say, you know what, guys, you have probably 20 minutes or so by yourselves here to take stock of everything that just happened what are your strategies moving forward what items have you picked up in the during the riot and and off of the cultists and from the temple what do you guys have what are you low on what do you need how's your hit points what's your strength at right now right like have them sit down and talk it out Get them all on the same page again, because they have run from one thing to another, and this is going to mitigate the fatigue. All right, so we've talked about horror, not just the different kinds of horror threats that that can be present in Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but also the different ways that you can um, apply those threats to your campaign. We talked about, uh, these different encounters that we went into. We specified, uh, we spoke quite a bit about religious horror and we talked about the boundaries that you shouldn't be pushing. Again, if you're looking for more information on horror, you should go check out episode 40 of the, uh, it's a mimic podcast. And if you're looking for more information about boundaries, check out episode nine. If you want some more information about the dynamic encounters that we've covered and why they're so important go back and check out episode five of this series. But let's just acknowledge that things got dark here for a minute. So let's take a week and shake it off. This is going to give us a chance to reboot our mental hard drives and return to the land of heroic fantasy. So tune in next week when we look at everything that has happened and now find out what is going to be the payoff. We're going to talk law
1: and consequences. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder series. You can find us at www.itsamimic.com and on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcast catchers. We're also available on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more, and would love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own homebrew campaigns. I'm Dan. And I am also Dan. And we'll be back with more prep work next week.